Section 8 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 2 The Odyssey. Episode 6 Hades. Part 2. Mourners came out through the gates, woman and a girl. Lean-jawed harpy, hard woman at a bargain, her bonnet awry, girl's face stained with dirt and tears, holding the woman's arm, looking up at her for a sign to cry, fish's face, bloodless and livid. The mutes shouldered the coffin and bore it in through the gates, so much dead weight. Felt heavier myself stepping out of that bath, first the stiff, then the friends of the stiff. Corny Kelleher and the boy followed with their wreaths, who is that beside them? Ah, the brother-in-law. All walked after. Martin Cunningham whispered, I was in mortal agony with you talking of suicide before Bloom. What? Mr. Power whispered. How so? His father poisoned himself, Martin Cunningham whispered. Had the Queen's Hotel in Ennis. You heard him say he was going to Clare. Anniversary. Oh, God! Mr. Power whispered. First I heard of it poisoned himself he glanced behind him to where a face with dark thinking eyes followed towards the cardinal's mausoleum speaking was he insured mr bloom asked i believe so mr kernan answered but the policy was heavily mortgaged martin is trying to get the youngster into artane how many children did he leave five ned lambert says he'll try to get one of the girls into todd's a sad case Mr. Bloom said gently, five young children. A great blow to the poor wife, Mr. Kernan added. Indeed, yes, Mr. Bloom agreed. Has the laugh at him now? He looked down at the boots he had blacked and polished. She had outlived him, lost her husband. More dead for her than for me. One must outlive the other. Wise men say, there are more women than men in the world. Condole with her, your terrible loss. I hope you'll soon follow him, for Hindu widows only. She would marry another. Him? No. Yet who knows after? Widowhood not the thing since the old queen died. Drawn on a gun carriage. Victoria and Albert. Frogmore Memorial Morning. But in the end she put a few violets in her bonnet. Vain in her heart of hearts. All for a shadow. Consort not even a king. Her son was the substance. Something new to hope for, not like the past you wanted back, waiting. It never comes. One must go first, alone under the ground, and lie no more in her warm bed. How are you, Simon? Ned Lambert said softly, clasping hands. Haven't seen you for a month of Sundays. Never better. How are all in Cork's own town? I was down there for the Cork Park races on Easter Monday, Ned Lambert said. Same old six and eightpence. Stopped with Dick Tybee. And how is Dick, the solid man? Nothing between himself and heaven, Ned Lambert answered. By the holy Paul, Mr. Dedalus said in subdued wonder. Dick Tyvey bald? Martin is going to get a whip up for the youngsters, Ned Lambert said, pointing ahead. A few bob a skull, just to keep them going till the insurance is cleared up. Yes, yes, Mr. Dedalus said dubiously. Is that the eldest boy in front? 
Yes, Ned Lambert said, with the wife's brother. John Henry Menton is behind. He put down his name for a quid. I'll engage he did, Mr. Deedless said. I often told poor Paddy he ought to mind that job. John Henry is not the worst in the world. How did he lose it? Ned Lambert asked. Liquor? What? Many a good man's fault, Mr. Deedless said with a sigh. They halted about the door of the mortuary chapel. Mr. Bloom stood behind the boy with the wreath, looking down at his sleek combed hair and the slender furrowed neck inside its brand-new collar. Poor boy! Was he there when the father, both unconscious, lighten up at the last moment and recognise for the last time all he might have done? I owe three shillings to O'Grady. Would he understand? The mutes bore the coffin into the chapel. Which end is his head? After a moment he followed the others in, blinking in the screened light. The coffin lay on its bier before the chancel, four tall yellow candles at its corners, always in front of us. Corny Kelleher, laying a wreath at each four-corner, beckoned to the boy to kneel. The mourners knelt here and there in praying desks. Mr. Bloom stood behind near the font, and, when all had knelt, dropped carefully his unfolded newspaper from his pocket, and knelt his right knee upon it. He fitted his black hat gently on his left knee, and, holding its brim, bent over piously. A server, bearing a brass bucket with something in it, came out through a door. The white-smocked priest came after him, tidying his stole with one hand, balancing with the other a little book against his toad's belly. "'Who'll read the book?' "'Aye,' said the rook. They halted by the bier, and the priest began to read out of his book with a fluent croak. "'Father Coffey. I knew his name was like Coffin. Domine Namine. Bully about the muzzle he looks. Bosses the show. Muscular Christian.' Woe betide any one that looks crooked at him, priest. Thou art Peter. Burst sideways like a sheep in clover, Dedalus says he will, with a belly on him like a poisoned pup. Most amusing expressions that man finds. Hm! <laughs> Burst sideways. Non in tres in judicium cum servo tuo, domine. Makes them feel more important to be prayed over in Latin. Requiem mass. Crape weepers. Black-edged note-paper, your name on the altar-list. Chilly place, this. Want to feed well, sitting in there all the morning in the gloom, kicking his heels, waiting for the next, please. Eyes of a toad, too. What swells him up that way? Molly gets swelled after cabbage. Air of the place, maybe. Looks full of bad gas. Must be an infernal lot of bad gas round the place. Butchers, for instance. They get like raw beefsteaks. Who was telling me? Mervyn Brown. Down in the vaults of St. Werburgh's, lovely old organ, 150, they have to bore a hole in the coffin sometimes to let out the bad gas and burn it. Out it rushes. Blue. One whiff of that and you're a goner. My kneecap is hurting me. Ow! That's better. The priest took a stick with a knob at the end of it, out of the boy's bucket, and shook it over the coffin. Then he walked to the other end and shook it again. Then he came back and put it in the bucket. As you were before you rested. It's all written down. He has to do it. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem. The server piped the answers in the treble. I often thought it would be better to have boy servants. Up to fifteen or so. After that, of course. 
Holy water that was, I expect, shaking the sleep out of it. He must be fed up with that job, shaking that thing over all the corpses they trot up. What harm if he could see what he was shaking it over? Every mortal day a fresh batch. Middle-aged men, old women, children, women dead in childbirth, men with beards, bald-headed businessmen, consumptive girls with little sparrows' breasts. All the year round he prayed the same thing over them all, and shook water on top of them. Sleep. On Dignum now. In Paradisum. Said he was going to Paradise, or is in Paradise. Says that over everybody. Tarsome kind of a job. But he has to say something. The priest closed his book and went off, followed by the server. Corny Kelleher opened the side doors, and the gravediggers came in, hoisted the coffin again, carried it out, and shoved it on their cart. Corny Kelleher gave one wreath to the boy, and one to the brother-in-law. All followed them out of the side doors, into the mild grey air. Mr. Bloom came last, folding his paper again into his pocket. He gazed gravely at the ground, till the coffin cart wheeled off to the left. The metal wheels ground the gravel with a sharp, grating cry, and the pack of blunt boots followed the barrow along a lane of sepulchres. The ree, the ra, the ree, the ra, the roo. Lord, I mustn't lilt here. The O'Connell Circle, Mr. Dedalus said about him. Mr. Power's soft eyes went up to the apex of the lofty cone. He's at rest, he said, in the middle of his people, old Dano but his heart is buried in Rome. How many broken hearts are buried here, Simon? Her grave is over there, Jack, Mr. Dealers said. I'll soon be stretched beside her. Let him take me whenever he likes. Breaking down, he began to weep to himself quietly, stumbling a little in his walk. Mr. Power took his arm. She's better where she is, he said kindly. I suppose so, Mr. Dealers said with a weak gasp. I suppose she is in heaven if there is a heaven. Corny Kelleher stepped aside from his rank and allowed the mourners to plod by. Sad occasions, Mr. Kernan began politely. Mr. Bloom closed his eyes and sadly twice bowed his head. The others are putting on their hats, Mr. Kernan said. I suppose we can do so too. We are the last. This cemetery is a treacherous place. They covered their heads. The reverend gentleman read the service too quickly, don't you think? Mr. Kernan said, with reproof. Mr. Bloom nodded bravely, looking in the quick bloodshot eyes. Secret eyes, secret searching eyes. Mason, I think. Not sure. Beside him again, we are the last. In the same boat. Hope he'll say something else. Mr. Kernan added, the service of the Irish church, used in Mount Jerome, is simpler, more impressive, I must say. Mr. Bloom gave prudent assent. The language, of course, was another thing. Mr. Kernan said with solemnity, I am the resurrection and the life. That touches a man's inmost heart. It does, Mr. Bloom said. Your heart, perhaps, but what price the fellow in the six feet by two with his toes to the daisies? No touching that. Seat of the affections, broken heart. A pump, after all, pumping thousands of gallons of blood every day. One fine day it gets bunged up, and there you are. Lots of them lying around here, lungs, hearts, livers. Old rusty pumps, damn the thing else. The resurrection and the life. 
Once you were dead, you were dead, that last day idea, knocking them all up out of their graves. Come forth, Lazarus! And he came fifth and lost the job. Get up, last day! Then every fellow mousing around for his liver and his lights and the rest of his traps. Find damn all of himself that morning. Pennyweight of powder in a skull. Twelve grams, one pennyweight. Troy measure. Corny Kelleher fell into step at their side. Everything went off A1, he said. What? He looked on them from his drawling eye. Policeman's shoulders. With your durulum, durulum. As it should be, Mr. Kernan said. What, eh? Corny Kelleher said. Mr. Kernan assured him. Who is that chap behind with Tom Kernan? John Henry Menton asked. I know his face. Ned Lambert glanced back. Bloom, he said. Madame Marion Tweedy that was, is, I mean, the soprano. She's his wife. Oh, to be sure, John Henry Menton said. I haven't seen her for some time. She was a fine-looking woman. I danced with her, wait, fifteen, seventeen golden years ago, at Matt Dillon's in Roundtown, and a good armful she was. He looked behind through the others. What is he? he asked. What does he do? Wasn't he in the stationary line? I fell foul of him one evening, I remember, at Bowles. Ned Lambert smiled. Yes, he was, he said, in Wisdom Healy's, a traveller for blotting paper. In God's name, John Henry Menton said. What did she marry a coon like that for? She had plenty of game in her then. As still, Ned Lambert said. He does some canvassing for ads. John Henry Menton's large eyes stared ahead. The barrow turned into a side lane. A portly man, ambushed among the grasses, raised his head in homage. The gravediggers touched their caps. John O'Connell, Mr. Power said, pleased. He never forgets a friend. Mr. O'Connell shook all their hands in silence. Mr. Dedalus said, I'm come to pay you another visit. My dear Simon, the caretaker answered in a low voice, I don't want your custom at all. Saluting Ned Lambert and John Henry Menton, he walked on at Martin Cunningham's side, puzzling two keys at his back. Did you hear that one? he asked them, about Mulcahy from Coombe. I did not. Martin Cunningham said. They bent their silk hats in concert, and Hines inclined his ear. The caretaker hung his thumbs in the loops of his gold watch-chain, and spoke in a discreet tone to their vacant smiles. They tell the story, he said, that two drunks came out here one foggy evening to look for the grave of a friend of theirs. They asked for Mulcahy from the coombe, and were told where he was buried. After traipsing about in the fog, they found the grave, sure enough. One of the drunks spelt out the name, Terence Mulcahy. The other drunk was blinking up at a statue of our saviour the widow had got put up. The caretaker blinked up at one of the sepulchres they passed. He resumed, and after blinking up at the sacred figure, Not a bloody bit like the man, says he. That's not Mulcahy, says he, whoever done it. Rewarded by smiles, he fell back and spoke with Corney Kelleher, accepting the dockets given him, turning them over and scanning them as he walked. That's all done with a purpose, Martin Cunningham explained to Hines. I know, Hines said, I know that. To cheer a fellow up, Martin Cunningham said, it's pure good-heartedness. Damn the thing else. Mr. Bloom admired the caretaker's prosperous bulk. 
all want to be on good terms with him. Decent fellow. John O'Connell. Real good sort. Keys. Like Keys. Add. No fears of anyone getting out. No pass-out checks. Habiat corpus. I must see about that ad after the funeral. Did I write Ballsbridge on the envelope I took to cover when she disturbed me writing to Martha? Hope it's not chucked in the dead letter office. Be better of a shave. Grey sprouting beard. That's the first sign when the hairs come out grey and temper getting cross. Silver threads among the grey. Fancy being his wife. Wonder how he had the gumption to propose to any girl. Come out and live in the graveyard. Dangle that before her. It might thrill her first. Courting death. Shades of night hovering here with all the dead stretched about. The shadows of the tombs when churchyards yawn. And Daniel O'Connell must be a descendant, I suppose. Who is this used to say he was queer, breedy man, great Catholic all the same, like a big giant in the dark? Will o' the wisp, gas of graves. Want to keep her mind off it, to conceive at all. Women especially are so touchy. Tell her a ghost story in bed to make her sleep. Have you ever seen a ghost? Well, I have. It was a pitch-dark night. The clock was on the stroke of twelve. Still they'd kiss all right if properly keyed up. Whores in Turkish graveyards. Learn anything if taken young. You might pick up a young widow here. Men like that. Love among the tombstones. Romeo. Spice of pleasure. In the midst of death we are in life. Both ends meet. Tantalising for the poor dead. Smell of grilled beefsteaks to the starving, gnawing their vitals. Desire to grig people. Molly wanting to do it at the window. Eight children he has anyway. He has seen a fair share go under in his time, lying around him field after field, holy fields. More room if they buried them standing up. Sitting or kneeling you couldn't. Standing? His head might come up some day above ground in a landslip with his hand pointing. All honeycomb the ground must be, oblong cells, and very neat he keeps it too, trim grass and edgings. His garden, Major Gamble calls Mount Jerome. Well, so it is. Ought to be flowers of sleep. Chinese cemeteries with giant poppies growing produce the best opium, Mastiansky told me. The botanic gardens are just over there. It's the blood sinking in the earth gives new life. Same idea, those Jews, they said, killed the Christian boy. Every man has his price. Well-preserved, fat corpse, gentleman, epicure, invaluable for a fruit garden, a bargain. By carcass of William Wilkinson, auditor and accountant, lately deceased, three pounds thirteen and six, with thanks. I dare say the soil would be quite fat with corpse manure, bones, flesh, nails, charnel houses, dreadful, turning green and pink, decomposing, rock quick in damp earth, the lean old ones tougher, then a kind of tallowy, kind of a cheesy, then begin to get black, treacle oozing out of them, then dried up, death moths. Of course the cells, or whatever they are, go on living, changing about, live forever practically, nothing to feed on, feed on themselves. But they must breed a devil of a lot of maggots. Soil must be simply swirling with them. Your head, it simply swirls. Those pretty little seaside girls. He looks cheerful enough over it. Give him a sense of power, seeing all the others go under first. Wonder how he looks at life. 
cracking his jokes too, warms the cockles of his heart. The one about the bulletin. Spurgeon went to heaven 4 a.m. this morning, 11 p.m., closing time. Not arrived yet, Peter. The dead themselves, the men anyhow, would like to hear an odd joke, or the women to know what's in fashion. A juicy pear or lady's punch, hot, strong and sweet. Keep out the damp. You must laugh sometimes, so better do it that way. Gravediggers in Hamlet. Shows the profound knowledge of the human heart. Daren't joke about the dead for two years at least. De mortuis nil nisi prius. Go out of mourning first. Hard to imagine his funeral. Seems a sort of a joke. Read your own obituary notice. They say you live longer. Gives you second wind. New lease of life. How many have you for tomorrow? The caretaker asked. Two, Corny Kelleher said. Half ten and eleven. The caretaker put the papers in his pocket. The barrow had ceased to trundle. The mourners split and moved to each side of the hole, stepping with care round the graves. The gravediggers bore the coffin and set its nose on the brink, looping the bands round it. Burying him, we come to bury Caesar, his eyes of March or June. He doesn't know who is here, nor care. Now who is that lanky-looking galoot over there in the Mackintosh? Now who is he, I'd like to know. Now I'd give a trifle to know who he is. Always someone turns up you never dreamt of. A fellow could live on his lonesome all his life. Yes, he could. Still, he'd have to get someone to sod him after he died, though he could dig his own grave. We all do. Only man buries. No, ants too. First thing strikes anybody. Bury the dead. Say Robinson Crusoe was true to life. Well then, Friday buried him. Every Friday buries a Thursday, if you come to look at it. Oh, poor Robinson Crusoe. How could you possibly do so? Poor Dignam. His last lie on earth in his box. When you think of them all, it does seem a waste of wood. All gnawed through. They could invent a handsome beer with a kind of panel sliding, let it down that way. Aye, but they might object to be buried out of another fellow's. They're so particular. Lay me in my native earth. Bit of clay from the Holy Land. Only a mother and a dead-born child ever buried in the one coffin. I see what it means. I see. To protect him as long as possible, even in the earth. The Irishman's house is his coffin. Embalming in catacombs, mummies, the same idea. Mr. Bloom stood far back, his hat in his hand, counting the bared heads. Twelve. I'm thirteen. No, the chap in the Mackintosh is thirteen. Death's number. Where the deuce did he pop out of? He wasn't in the chapel, that I'll swear. Silly superstition, that, about thirteen. Nice soft tweed Ned Lambert has in that suit. Tinge of purple. I had one like that when we lived in Lombard Street West. Dressy fellow he was once. Used to change three suits in the day. Must get that grey suit of mine turned by Messias. Hello, it's died. His wife, I forgot, he's not married, or his landlady ought to have picked out those threads for him. The coffin died out of sight, eased down by the men straddled on the grave trestles. They struggled up and out, and all uncovered. Twenty. Pause. If we were all suddenly somebody else, far away a donkey brayed. Rain. No such ass. Never see a dead one, they say. 
shame of death they hide also poor papa went away gentle sweet air blew round the bared heads in a whisper whisper the boy by the grave-head held his wreath with both hands staring quietly in the black open space mr bloom moved behind the portly kindly caretaker well-cut frock-coat weighing them up perhaps to see which will go next well it is a long rest feel no more it's the moment you feel must be damned unpleasant can't believe it at first mistake must be someone else try the house opposite wait i wanted to i haven't yet then the darkened death-chamber light they want whispering around you would you like to see a priest then rambling and wandering delirium all you hid all your life the death struggle his sleep is not natural press the lower eyelid watching is his nose pointed is his jaw sinking are the soles of his feet yellow pull the pillow away and finish it off on the floor since he's doomed devil in that picture of sinner's death showing him a woman dying to embrace her in his shirt last act of lucia shall i never more behold thee bam expires gone at last people talk about you a bit forget you don't forget to pray for him remember him in your prayers even parnell ivy day dying out then they follow dropping into a hole one after the other we are praying now for the repose of his soul hoping you're well and not in hell nice change of air out of the frying-pan of life into the fire of purgatory does he ever think of the hole waiting for himself they say you do when you shiver in the sun someone walking over it call-boy's warning near you mine over there towards finglass the plot i bought mamma poor mamma and little rudy the grave-diggers took up their spades and flung heavy clods of clay in on the coffin mr bloom turned his face and if he was alive all the time fool by jingo that would be awful no no he is dead of course of course he is dead monday he died they ought to have some law to pierce the heart and make sure or an electric clock or a telephone in the coffin and some kind of canvas air-hole flag of distress three days rather long to keep them in summer just as well to get shut of them as soon as you are sure there's no the clay fell softer begin to be forgotten out of sight out of mind the caretaker moved away a few paces and put on his hat had enough of it the mourners took heart of grace one by one covering themselves without show mr bloom put on his hat and saw the portly figure make its way deftly through the maze of graves quietly sure of his ground he traversed the dismal fields hines jotting down something in his notebook ah the names but he knows them all no coming to me i'm just taking the names hines said below his breath what is your christian name i'm not sure l mr bloom said leopold and you might put down mccoy's name too he asked me to charlie hines said writing i know he was on the freeman once so he was before he got his job in the morgue under louis byrne good idea a post-mortem for doctors find out what they imagine they know he died of a tuesday got the run levanted with the cash of a few ads charlie you're my darling that was why he asked me to 
Oh, well, there's no harm. I saw to that, McCoy. Thanks, old chap. Much obliged. Leave him under an obligation. Costs nothing. And tell us, Hines said, do you know that fellow in the... fellow was over there in the... He looked round. Mackintosh? Yes, I saw him, Mr. Bloom said. Where is he now? Mackintosh, Hines said, scribbling. I don't know who he is. Is that his name? He moved away, looking about him. No, Mr. Bloom began, turning round. I say, Hines! Didn't hear. What? Where has he disappeared to? Not a sign. Well, of all the... Has anybody here seen... K-E-double-L... Become invisible. Good Lord, what became of him? A seventh grave-digger came beside Mr. Bloom to take up an idle spade. Oh, excuse me. He stepped aside nimbly. Clay, brown, damp, began to be seen in the hole. It rose. Nearly over. A mound of damp clods rose more, rose, and the grave-diggers rested their spades. All uncovered again for a few instants. The boy propped his wreath against a corner. The brother-in-law his on a lump. The grave-diggers put on their caps and carried their earthy spades towards the barrow. They knocked the blades lightly on the turf, clean. One bent to pluck from the haft a long tuft of grass. One, leaving his mates, walked slowly on with shouldered weapon, its blade blue-glancing. Silently at the grave-head another coiled the coffin-band, his navel cord. The brother-in-law, turning away, placed something in his free hand. Thanks in silence. Sorry, sir. Trouble. Head shake. I know that. For yourselves, just. The mourners moved away slowly, without aim, by devious paths, staying a while to read a name on a tomb. Let us go round by the chief's grave, Hines said. We have time. Let us, Mr. Power said. They turned to the right, following their slow thoughts. With awe, Mr. Power's blank voice spoke. Some say he's not in that grave at all, that the coffin was filled with stones, that one day he will come again. Hines shook his head. Parnell will never come again, he said. He's there, all that was mortal of him. Peace to his ashes. Mr. Bloom walked unheeded along his grove, by saddened angels, crosses, broken pillars, family vaults, stone hopes, praying with upcast eyes, old Ireland's hearts and hands. More sensible to spend the money on some charity for the living. Pray for the repose of the soul of... Does anybody really? Plant him and have done with him, light down a coal chute, then lump them together to save time, all souls' day. Twenty-seventh, I'll be at his grave. Ten shillings for the gardener, he keeps it free of weeds. Old man himself, bent down double with his shears, clipping, near death's door, who passed away, who departed this life, as if they did it of their own accord, got the shove, all of them who kicked the bucket. More interesting if they told you what they were. So-and-so, wheelwright. I travelled for Cork Lino. I paid five shillings in a pound, or a woman's with her saucepan. I cooked good Irish stew. Eulogy in a country churchyard it ought to be. That poem of, whose is it, Wordsworth or Thomas Campbell? Entered into rest, the Protestants put it. Old Dr. Murrins. The great physician called him home. Well, it's God's acre for them. Nice country residence, newly plastered and painted, 
ideal spot to have a quiet smoke and read the church times marriage ads they never try to beautify rusty wreaths hung on knobs garlands of bronze foil better value that for the money still the flowers are more poetical the other gets rather tiresome never withering expresses nothing immortel a bird sat tamely perched on a poplar branch light stuffed like the wedding present alderman hooper gave us <laughs> not a budge out of him knows there are no catapults to let fly at him dead animal even sadder silly milly burying the little dead bird in the kitchen matchbox the daisy chain and bits of broken chainies on the grave the sacred heart that is showing it heart on his sleeve ought to be sideways and red it should be painted like a real heart ireland was dedicated to it or whatever that seems anything but pleased why this infliction would birds come then and peck like the boy with a basket of fruit but he said no because they ought to have been afraid of the boy apollo that was how many all these here once walked round dublin faithful departed as you are now so once were we besides how could you remember everybody eyes walk voice well a voice yes gramophone have a gramophone in every grave or keep it in the house after dinner on a sunday put on poor old great-grandfather hello 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 i'm awfully glad awfully glad to see her again hello hello i'm off remind you of the voice like the photograph reminds you of the face otherwise you couldn't remember the face after fifteen years say for instance who for instance some fellow that died when i was in wisdom healy's a rattle of pebbles wait stop he looked down intently into a stone crypt some animal wait there he goes an obese grey rat toddled along the side of the crypt moving the pebbles an old stager great-grandfather he knows the ropes the grey alive crushed itself in under the plinth wriggled itself in under it good hiding place for treasure who lives there i laid the remains of robert emery robert emmett was buried here by torchlight wasn't he making his rounds tail gone now one of those chaps would make short work of a fellow pick the bones clean no matter who it was ordinary meat for them a corpse's meat gone bad well and what's cheese corpse of milk i read in that voyages in china that the chinese say a white man smells like a corpse cremation better priests dead against it devilling for the other firm wholesale burners and dutch oven dealers time of the plague quicklime fever pits to eat them lethal chamber ashes to ashes or bury at sea where is that parsee tower of silence eaten by birds earth fire water drowning they say is the pleasantest see your whole life in a flash but being brought back to life no can't bury in the air however out of a flying machine wonder does the news go about whenever a fresh one is let down underground communication we learnt that from them wouldn't be surprised regular square feed for them flies come before he's well dead got wind of dignum they wouldn't care about the smell of it salt white crumbling mush of corpse smell taste like raw white turnips 
the gates glimmered in front still open back to the world again enough of this place brings you a bit nearer every time last time i was here was mrs sinico's funeral poor papa too the love that kills and even scraping up the earth at night with a lantern like that case i read of to get at fresh buried females or even putrefied with running grave sores give you the creeps after a bit i will appear to you after death you will see my ghost after death my ghost will haunt you after death there is another world after death named hell i do not like that other world she wrote no more do i plenty to see and hear and feel yet feel live warm beings near you let them sleep in their maggoty beds they are not going to get me this innings warm beds warm full-blooded life martin cunningham emerged from a side path talking gravely solicitor i think i know his face menton john henry solicitor commissioner for oaths and affidavits dignam used to be in his office matt dillon's long ago jolly matt convivial evenings cold fowl cigars the tantalus glasses heart of gold really yes menton got his rag out that evening on the bowling green because i sailed inside him pure fluke of mine the bias why he took such a rooted dislike to me hate at first sight molly and flowey dillon linked under the lilac tree laughing fellow always like that mortified if women are by got a dinge in the side of his hat carriage probably excuse me sir mr bloom said beside them they stopped your hat is a little crushed mr bloom said pointing john henry menton stared at him for an instant without moving there martin cunningham helped pointing also john henry menton took off his hat bulged out the dinge and smoothed the nap with care on his coat sleeve he clapped the hat on his head again it's all right now martin cunningham said john henry menton jerked his head down in acknowledgment thank you he said shortly they walked on towards the gates mr bloom chapfallen drew behind a few paces so as not to overhear martin laying down the law martin could wind a sappy head like that round his little finger without his seeing it oyster eyes never mind be sorry after perhaps when it dawns on him get the pull over him that way thank you how grand we are this morning End of section eight